It's Thursday, November 19th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Thinking of getting tested before Thanksgiving? Be careful if you're planning the everyone-has-gotten-tested approach to getting together with family at Thanksgiving. Getting a negative test doesn't clear you from continuing to wear masks or social distancing. While this approach can be used as a form of risk reduction, it is not a guarantee of safety from the virus. Christy Ashwanden, reporter at Wired, joins us for more. Next, Boeing 737 MAX has been given approval by the FAA to fly passengers again. The plane had been grounded for 20 months after two crashes killed 346 people. All the issues have been resolved, but because of the pandemic, customer orders for the planes have been canceled or deferred. Leslie Josephs, aviation reporter at CNBC, joins us for the return of the 737 MAX. Finally, coronavirus is still running rampant across the country as the death count in the U.S. is now over 250,000. Thanksgiving is approaching and public health experts have urged caution over large gatherings. One more point of caution, more than 3 million people are estimated to be contagious with the coronavirus according to new models by epidemiologists at Columbia University. Joel Achenbach, science reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for why this estimate is so much higher than official case count. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. You know what love is on Thanksgiving? I love you so much, and I'm so thankful for you that I'm not going to see you. Joining us now is Christy Ashwanden, reporter at Wired. Thanks for joining us, Christy. Thanks for having me. We're all getting ready for Thanksgiving. The guidance out there from the CDC and even in local states is Try not to gather too much with your family. Make the gatherings a lot smaller. Go outside if you can. There's a lot of new rules regarding a a pandemic Thanksgiving. But Christy, I wanted to talk to you because you wrote an article about this kind of notion of, hey, it's okay if to get together as a family as long as everyone maybe gets a COVID test before. And uh, you were finding some problems with that. You know, we saw with the White House, that's kind of the method that they were going by. Everybody get tested. You don't need to wear a mask. You don't do anything. But it still hit the White House. And you're urging people to uh, use this uh, kind of method with caution when it's coming to your family and Thanksgiving gatherings. Uh, tell us a little bit about it, Christy. So my story is really about this notion that a lot of people apparently have that as long as you get tested and you test negative, it's just fine to have a regular holiday gathering. So you sort of ask everyone to get a test. And as long as that test comes back negative, you're good to go. You can just proceed as though we're not in a pandemic. The problem with this is that these tests have limitations. And I just want to be really clear that testing is very important. And I'm not saying that it's not. I'm not saying that the tests are inherently faulty or anything like that. But they do have some shortcomings. And one of the problems is that particularly when you have first become infected with the virus, it is very possible to take a test and be negative um, and very soon after become infectious. In fact, we saw, if you want to see an example of this, there was a case in Wisconsin of a boys camp that was using this approach. So they were asking people to be sort of careful when they were coming to the camp and not try to interact with other people. But they had to have, in order to attend this camp, a negative test within a few days of arriving at the camp. And they ended up with 116 cases of COVID 
um, that was traced back to one of the kids that arrived who had had a negative test, but it turns out, you know, became sick a couple of days after that. And so I think the danger with the tests is that you get this false sense of security and the sense that the negative test means that, you know, there's absolutely no way that you can have the virus. And we know that's not the case. The really important thing here is that we need to keep doing these behaviors that we've been told to do, you know, social distancing, masking, avoiding large groups. There's just no getting around it. And believe me, if there was a way (laughs) to do that, I would be recommending it because we all want to, you know, be able to have parties with our friends and family gatherings and all of that. But I think the real takeaway is that you can't just stop doing those behaviors. Unfortunately, we're just not at that point. And particularly now, I mean, if you look at the numbers, this is true nationally. They're just, I mean, this is sort of the worst it's been this whole pandemic. And so this is absolutely the wrong time to let down your guard. Right. You did talk to a few experts. I mean, (laughs) we're getting very close to Thanksgiving already. What would they recommend? I mean, they're saying quarantine for two weeks just, just so you can be safe. That's uh, really hard to do right now. Don't go shopping. Those are some of the yeah. other things they were saying. That's so hard to do when you need to go out and get all those supplies and things. And let's just be really clear here. Doing a 14-day quarantine, which is, you know, the best practices that are recommended if you are going to be seeing people who are vulnerable, you want to do that. You want to quarantine yourself so not have contact with other people. And that's a really hard thing to do. And I think it's something that only a privileged few in our society are able to do. Most people, you know, unless they can work from home, unless they have access to things like grocery deliveries and things like this, you know, people have to go get their paycheck and for a lot of people, that means going to work and inherently they're going to be interacting with other people. You can only be so careful. And right. so we have to realize that this is hard stuff to do. But the very safest way is really through the quarantine is, is basically avoiding any situation where you might come into contact with the virus. And you know, I think the other thing that we're seeing now, though, is that people really, you know, we tend to really let down our guard with friends and loved ones, family members. You know, we think that they're OK and we assume we can't get it from them. But it's not necessarily necessarily that you're going to get it from some random person you interact with on the street or in a grocery store. You know, so much of the transmission we know now is household transmission. It's among family members. It's among small family gatherings. And so you really have to be careful about this. And so if you want to reduce your risk as much as possible, you want to quarantine for as long as you can. Now, 14 days is ideal, but even doing a shorter quarantine can be helpful. And um, there's another strategy, uh, which is to do something like an eight-day quarantine where then you are tested right at the end. And there, you know, if you know that you have not been in contact with anyone, then the negative test might be, you know, a little bit more reliable. But again, you know, you have to get the test somewhere. And, you know, going to a COVID testing site is probably a pretty good place to come into contact with the virus. You know, there's no guarantee that you don't get it, you know, waiting in line for the test, say. Yeah, I should also say that the test really only tells you at that particular moment in time whether you are infectious. And it's possible that you are infected, but not yet infectious enough to be positive on the test. And there is this sort of timeline during which the test won't catch it yet. And so it just should never be taken as this sure thing. Christy Ashwanden, reporter at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's go, let's
it came to the market in 2017, the airlines were all clamoring for a plane when oil prices were, were high in the beginning of the decade, saying that they wanted to save money on fuel. This comes to market in 2017. It becomes Boeing's best-selling aircraft ever. And what happens with the grounding is that Boeing hasn't been able to deliver these airplanes. Joining us now is Leslie Josephs, aviation reporter at CNBC. Thanks for joining us, Leslie. Thanks for having me. Wanted to talk about a big return for Boeing coming up pretty soon, hopefully, is the return of the 737 MAX. Now, these planes were grounded in March 2019 after two crashes killed 346 people. You know, we were hearing a lot about it at the time. Coronavirus came, put lockdowns on everything. I mean, the aviation industry has taken such a huge hit and Boeing especially going through the grounding of these planes and then and then the pandemic. But we might be seeing these come back soon. Leslie, what do we know about it? Yeah, these planes have been grounded for now 20 months. And it seems last year that things really couldn't get any worse for Boeing. They were fighting with the FAA pretty publicly over when the planes can come back. They, of course, had the aftermath of these two fatal crashes. And like you said, 346 people, that's everybody on board both of these flights had died in the crashes. There were questions about Boeing's design of the planes, what they disclosed to pilots, what they disclosed to customers, and of course, like their relationship with the FAA, with the FAA providing a, of a check on Boeing. And then COVID comes along. So this is kind of an added layer, even though these planes are coming back. Their airline customers all around the world in the U.S. and abroad are all suffering. And this is important. Uh, Boeing is a huge country in the United States. Boeing supplies planes for pretty much every major airline. It's just become such a huge thing. In the first 10 months of 2020, they lost 393 aircraft orders, and it's just become a really big problem for them. Their rivals have gotten new orders because of this, and they're just losing a lot of money. Leslie, can you remind us a little bit about what the problem was with the 737 MAX plane? Because it had to do with some type of flight control system. It was uh, really hard for the pilots to fight against it. And that's what brought these planes down. Right. And just to step back to the 737, the Boeing 737 has been around since the late 60s. It started flying in 1967. But over the years, Boeing has tried to improve it. I mean, airlines want to save money on fuel, so they make more fuel efficient engines. So over the last 50 years, and there's been iteration after iteration of this plane, the MAX was the, was the most recent one. And it, it came to the market in 2017. The airlines were all clamoring for a plane when oil prices were, were high in the beginning of the decade, saying that they wanted to save money on fuel. This comes to market in 2017. It becomes Boeing's best-selling aircraft ever. And what happened with the grounding is that Boeing hasn't been able to deliver these airplanes. The issue was in both crashes, and investigators have found that the pilots of the planes were fighting against this piece of software, you know, as, as like our computers and every other piece of technology that we have becomes more sophisticated, things become more automated. So Boeing had put in this flight software so the plane could sort of feel like older models of the 737. It was a big selling point and probably one of the reasons why it became such a, a big seller is training costs were low. Pilots didn't have to go through a simulator necessarily. There was a, a short iPad course, some pilots have told us, and it was very easy to transition from an older model of a 737 to this one. But it misfired. It, there was a malfunction they, in both crashes, and the pilots were trying to battle against it. And they were overpowered, essentially, by this piece of software. Since the crashes, Boeing has made the software less aggressive. It's given pilots more control. They've added more redundancies. The software takes data from an additional sensor. So there's kind of a, more of a backup system. So the hope is that this plane is, it is probably one of the most 
rigorously scrutinized planes ever. I mean, it's like you said, it's been grounded for 20 months. So regulators have really, I mean, they, they can't afford another incident to happen. So they're hoping that the aircraft is going to get certified very soon. It would still take a few months mm -hmm. for it to really return to service. Pilots need to go through that new mm -hmm. training. They're going to do flight simulator training on this. And then beyond that, you know, a lot of these people that were, uh, you know, airlines and whatnot that were buying the plane, they still have the option to either defer these things or not take some of the original orders that they had put in there. So it could still be a troublesome time for Boeing. For sure. And it's kind of a perfect storm that COVID happened now and that the pandemic has spread. So the planes have been grounded for so long. It's taken regulators so long, even before the disease really started to spread around the world, to certify these planes that according to the agreement that the airlines have these contracts, once it's been grounded for a year, it becomes easier to cancel. And then all of a sudden, you know, a pandemic comes along, airlines are losing billions of dollars, they can more easily cancel their orders. It's not just the cancellation of the orders, but you see a lot of airlines say, well, we don't need the aircraft right now because travel demand is so low. Let's push it out. That's a problem for Boeing because the majority of the price of the aircraft is paid when they deliver the airplane. So they have been wanting to roll these things out, get them to customers last year, but the timing just didn't work out. And then they were hit with the, the uh, pandemic early this year. Where are we looking at for these planes to get back in service? What time frame? It'll take several weeks. American Airlines, we're hearing, is going to be the first U.S. carrier to bring the planes back into commercial service. They have flights already scheduled for the 29th of December. Pilots are going to start cycling through the new rounds of training, going through simulator training, and then things like that. Southwest and United, which are the other big U.S. customers of this plane, they're saying sometime in 2021, they also have to train their pilots, but it's not on the schedule just yet. And then around the world, it will depend on not, because the FAA doesn't dictate what happens in Brazil and what happens in China. Those regulators need to approve those planes as well. Leslie Josephs, aviation reporter at CNBC. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. They are rising here and all around the nation. And as we've stated before, they have been for several weeks. Joining us now is Joel Achenbach, science reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Joel. Thanks for having me. It's been kind of a weird up and down week with the news regarding coronavirus. We're getting a lot of good news on the vaccine front. Uh, Moderna has a vaccine candidate that is 94.5% effective. Pfizer updated their numbers. Their candidate is now 95% effective against COVID-19. So great news on that front. But on the other side of things, we're seeing cases surge all over the place. There's a lot of states and cities talking about new rounds of lockdowns and shutdowns of businesses. And then I, I came across your article about some new modeling that says that more than 3 million people in the U.S. are estimated to be contagious with coronavirus. And, and the reason why I want to talk about it is it's especially important going into the week of Thanksgiving, coming into the holidays. We got to be careful and still continue to do all the things we're, we're told to do, the mask wearing, the social distancing. But Joel, help us walk through what we're learning of uh, some, some of these new models that are coming out. So we're in this fall slash winter surge. This is like 1918 in which it looks like the fall wave of this pandemic is going to be worse even than the spring waves which is what happened in 1918 with the pandemic influenza. But there's so many people right now are 
infected and contagious. Our story tried to look at it at a certain metric that you'd never read about or hear about, almost never, because it's, it's a hard thing to nail down, which is how many people are currently contagious. So if you hear about, well, there's 11 million cases in the U.S., that's going back to February, right? right. Most of those 11 million got it and then got over it, you know, and, and hopefully most of them have immunity now. The question is, you know, when you have this huge surge in, of, of cases of confirmed infections, confirmed through testing, how many people actually have it above and beyond the ones that have been confirmed with the testing? And so the Columbia University researchers have a model where they estimate that right now there are 3.6 million people who are actively contagious. It's a huge number. That's a little more than 1% of the whole population. Separately, using different methods and a somewhat different kind of metric, the people at the University of Washington told me that they think 3.2 million people have been infected just in the last two weeks, just since Election Day, 3.2 million. So those two numbers, although they're not exactly the same thing, because the Columbia folks think even more people have been infected, but their number is just the people who are actively contagious. But the fact is, we're talking about several million people who are in the country potentially spreading the virus right now. They're not evenly distributed, but they are because uh, there's a lot of cases in the upper Midwest, a lot of cases in, in certain places, um, Utah, Oklahoma, Iowa, El Paso, Texas. But we're seeing rising cases now in the Northeast, um, including in New York City, which has just closed public schools. And when you have so many people infected, it creates a lot of challenges for contact tracing and isolation. But the one good thing is it speeds up your vaccine program because you get results quicker. There's so much virus out right, there. Exactly. It speeds up what's happening with Moderna and, and Pfizer. There are a few differences now. You know, doctors can treat people with severe cases of coronavirus better, so it's less likely to be fatal. But these are all still things to take into consideration. And as I was saying, you know, lockdowns, uh, you know, shutting down of businesses again, it's tough to plan for all of that when so many people are contagious like this. And, and as you said, the contact tracing, it just isn't working that well. We're heading into Thanksgiving. And then beyond that, of course, is Christmas and, and other holidays. And I think that it's a real burden, this whole situation for individuals and their families and their friends about what are we going to do? I mean, do we cancel our Thanksgiving plans? Do the kids not come home from wherever they are to visit their middle-aged parents? What's safe to do? And as every family and my own, and, and we're all dealing with this, it's a, it's a hard decision. And there's going to be a lot of canceled plans. You have a lot of officials from Dr. Fauci on down saying, hey, you really should not get together with people from out of town or from other households at Thanksgiving. You should plan for next year and then skip this year. At the same time, I think surveys show you know, a large percentage of the of the public, and I think I saw 40% in, in one study, were saying that they were going to have a big Thanksgiving gathering anyway. So we're just in, in, in a bind here. It's, a, it's an unhappy moment, but there's no question that there's a lot of transmission of the virus right now, way more than there was a month ago, which was more than a month before that. You know, we had the, the spring surge, and then we had this midsummer surge in the Sun Belt. Now we have, starting in September, that big surge in the upper Midwest. And now it's, it's pretty much happening everywhere. It's happening in rural America. It's happening in the big cities again, including in the Northeast. that got hammered the first time. Right. So I think, 
you know, with this great vaccine news we've had, which is really, really wonderful and promising, people need to figure out how to get through the next couple of months. And I think if we take it seriously enough, we can reverse these numbers. But Thanksgiving is not coming at a good time, (laughs) given the pandemic. Joel Achenbach, science reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.